0: Well, good morning, Hillcrest Covenant Church. I am uh, Pastor Brad. I am the very interim lead pastor here at uh, Hillcrest Covenant Church. And uh, in fact, I, I went to the Starbucks this morning, and I went through the drive-through, and one of the, uh, the cars sitting right in front of me um, had Colorado license plate. And I thought, huh, this church, Hillcrest Church, is going to be getting a pastor from Colorado? And uh, that church in Colorado is going to be getting a pastor from Prairie Village. <laughs> so that explains why I'm letting my hair grow, because i got to look as, as mountain man-like as, as I can. Okay, that's the, that's the reason. Used, I used to be holding out because I was waiting for the inoculation, but I, I'm not going to have that excuse here much longer. So anyway, um, glad you're with us today online or in the building. Um, this is Palm Sunday, as you've already perhaps gathered, which is a significant uh, day in the in the life and the rhythm of the Christian church. And I'm going to be um, reading for you a couple of passages from Scripture. One is from John chapter 12. And it's the story of Jesus' entrance. It's called the triumphal entry in, in technical terms. And I'm going to read that for you in a minute. And then I'm going to read a short passage from the, uh, the book of Philippians. And then you'll be able to see how I weave these two passages of Scripture into a, uh, into a, um, a thought that maybe makes sense to us. We'll see. So John chapter 12, 12 through 20, it goes like this. The next day, the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. And as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on the donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified that they realized that these things had been written about him and about these things which had been done to him. So you see, what John is doing there is he's editorializing and saying, you know, even in the midst of all of this, the, the, the disciples didn't quite get it. Okay, so just put that aside for a moment, and you'll probably hear, uh, hear me say that again in a minute. And then in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, Paul says this, and he's, and he's really reflecting a little bit on th- the events of Jesus' life and especially the meaning of Jesus' death when he writes this. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the, the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me just pray. Having read that, I want for that to sink in. Let's just pray. God, would these events that we've just read about in the Gospel of John and in Philippians um, penetrate to the deepest places of our heart today as we go through the rhythm again of what we call Holy Week. May the truth that you wish for us to hear in this passage become so obvious to us, both sitting here in this sanctuary or watching online, that we can't escape the implications. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So now, when when uh, people in the ancient world thought about uh, heroic leaders, they automatically thought about a leader of that time named Alexander the Great. And, which, by the way, uh, do do any of you know what who what Alexander the Great's middle name is? Yeah, yeah, the Alexander. Yeah, like, you could, use, you could use that with your kids, and they, and they would actually laugh at that, you know. Uh, a, 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 a few years ago, one of, one of my sons said to me, he she said, Dad, did you really think that you were that funny when you made joke, stupid jokes and stuff? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, Dad, you really weren't. So anyway, uh, so when, when people in the ancient world thought about leaders, they thought about Alexander so, because at age 20, he succeeded his father Philip to the throne of Macedonia, and he quickly made himself master over all of Greece. So that was his, sort of his starting point, the country of Greece. And then he set a, a, about the task of conquering the entire world. And when Alexander died at the age of 33, so he didn't have a lot of time, He had so wildly succeeded that he was uh, referred to as a divine figure. And in the world of the Bible, the, the closest equivalent that we have to Alexander was the Emperor Augustus which you probably remember him from the Christmas narrative, right? And Augustus put, had put an end to the long-running Roman Civil, uh, civil War, and he, bought, he brought peace to the entire Roman world. And that peace, of course, w- was referred to as Pax Romana, uh, the peace of Rome. And, and so the, the people referred to Augustus as a divine king as well. So so this is a bit of the backdrop that we have in the minds of the people who are standing on the side of the road watching this guy ride into town on a donkey. And the interesting thing about Jesus' ministry, his life and ministry, but in in this case, his his path to Golgotha, is that Jesus was bringing a kingdom that was unlike all of the other kingdoms that that I have just described. Jesus was bringing a kingdom of power, sure, but it was also a kingdom of peace. Now, this episode that, that I've just read for you from the Gospel of John is rich with symbolism. And it gives us a picture of God's kingdom that, that could, couldn't be more different from the powerful kingdoms that have ruled over the earth up until this point. They're, they were night and day, if you think about it. But before we get ahead of ourselves, we must read this story as if we are among those standing on the side of the road, perhaps on our tiptoes, looking over the heads of the people in front of, in front of us, w- w- straining to see this king and maybe raising our palms. and and witnessing this this historic moment when this new king enters into Jerusalem at the sound of the adoring crowds. (sighs) Now, unlike the kingdoms that ruled before him, this king would rule over a kingdom that was marked with power and peace, as I've said. That's an unlikely combination when you think about it. This king and his ragtag group of disciples both intrigued the present power structures and terrified them as they saw larger and larger crowds gathering wherever Jesus went. Now, unlike the other Gospels, the Gospel of John does not give us uh, a lot of detail leading up to this procession into Jerusalem. John doesn't waste any time describing the backstory about how Jesus got the donkey. Uh, John is more interested in this passage in the drama that was playing out behind the scenes as the Pharisees fretted about the growing popularity of this leader and wondered, how in the world are we going to stop him? What 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 is it going to take? Now, those who stood on the sidelines that day, on the side of the road, uh, watching all this go on around them, um, they placed all of their hopes and their dreams for a life that was free from tyranny and injustice on the shoulders of this new king. They did. This is similar, by the way, to what churches do when they await the arrival of a new pastor. In in private conversations in the hallway, one will say to another, I hope our new pastor does this well, whatever that is. Or when the new pastor gets here, all of our problems are going to mysteriously go away. Yes, we all have unrealistic hopes for our our next pastor that if we are not careful, and hear me well, not even Jesus could live up to our expectations. I'm doing Pastor Nate a favor right now, in case you're wondering. I'm, I'm setting a bar for him that's achievable and reasonable, and I'm asking you to reconsider how high you have your bar for him. You know, um, Brad's been a, a good pastor. We're really glad that he's been here. But, but you know, he didn't do this very well. Or, you know, he he said this, and it kind of made me mad. And you know, fill in the blank. Feel free. But Nate Powell, he he's going to come. He's going to come riding on his white horse, and he will make all things great again. Be careful, folks. Be careful. So on the side of the road that day, on the side of the road, Jesus rode into town. There were hopes and there were dreams that each and every person brought with them as they strained to catch a glimpse of this new king. And this king was a different kind of king with a different kind of agenda. In the midst of all of the hoopla, in their obvious enthusiasm for the arrival of this, of this new king, people didn't notice that there was something unusual about him. He, he wasn't riding into town brandishing his ceremonial sword on a big white steed like most uh, victorious leaders would. Instead, he rode into town on a donkey, a, a work animal. Instead of leading his victorious army, carrying his spoils of victory, this king was accompanied by a dozen or so men from rural Galilee. They they were country folks. They they talked funny. They dressed a little funny. And as they followed this king into Jerusalem, where he would be inaugurating his kingdom, they thought, the star-struck disciples looked around at the crowd, and they probably wondered to themselves, could this be what we've always been waiting for. C- could Jesus be the one? Now, aside from, some, from the obvious contrast that John is using to help define Jesus' kingdom differently from the, the other kind of kingdoms that I've already described, the picture that John paints for us of Jesus and his band of disciples is, is almost comical, if you think about it. A, a guy sitting on a swayed-back old donkey, it, it, his gaze straight ahead, as if he bore the weight of the world on his shoulders, leading a group of misfits who were wide-eyed and wondering to themselves, what does all this mean? That's what's going on here, folks. But no matter, it was, it was the Jewish Passover. It was, it was time to celebrate their Jewish heritage. Perhaps standing along the parade route, waving their palms for this would-be king and his kingdom, provided some kind of salve or, or, or a welcome change for a moment from the worries of their ordinary lives. Everybody likes a good parade, right? What of those standing the, along the parade route that day didn't know was to the extent to which that this king and his kingdom was actually different from all of the others. The king didn't come from a long path of royalty. This king wasn't groomed to take over the kingdom that his father had built before him. This king was a different kind of king whose intention was, get this, was to disrupt the power of the existing leaders, so they would have no choice but to arrest him and put him on trial for sedition and treason. Did you catch what I just said? For those who don't, don't like to believe that Jesus didn't have a political agenda or have heard others saying, you know, I just don't like it when the preacher talks about politics, you know, we should just stick to the main thing, whatever that is. Um, You may want to take a look at this passage again because it is dripping with political intent. It is dripping with it. You can't miss it. Jesus knew full well as he rode into Jerusalem that day on a donkey that he was putting the existing power brokers on notice that there was going to be a new sheriff in town, and they better get used to it. While the people who stood along the parade route that day didn't know where this great possession, uh, procession would ultimately lead, we do, right? I mean, because we, we know the end of the story. And with the benefit of historical perspective like we have, we know that the whole point of this this comical episode is not pointing to any conventional king, but to a king whose reign of power begins with suffering and death on a cross. Which begs the question, who really wants to follow a king who must suffer and die, I mean, really. We don't even like following sports teams that don't win. Why would we follow a king like this? So there's the story that we all know and that kind of kicks off Holy Week for us. And then Paul comes along in the the book of Philippians and he frames this story for us, um, having had the benefit of knowing the story himself, and he interprets some of the the events of the final week of Jesus' life and and some of the themes of Jesus' ministry um, in this passage that I read for you a moment ago from Philippians. And here in this little letter to the Philippian church, Paul includes a hymn, a poem of sorts, that represents the character of Jesus' kingdom and ministry through the lens of the final events of Jesus' life, through the lens of this Holy Week, if you will. This king and kingdom was not a kingdom based on military victory or political power. Paul writes, this kingdom is based on something that you would never hear connected with the rule of a king in a million years. It's something called kenosis. And kenosis is the idea that we empty ourselves. We relinquish something. We give our away control rather than grab at control. That's what the character of this kingdom is like. This is what Paul says um, in in Philippians 2. This is how you should think among yourselves with the mind that you have because you belong to the Messiah Jesus, who, though in God's form, did not regard his equality with God as something that he ought to exploit. Instead, he emptied himself, kenosis. Kenosis. And he received the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of humans. And then, having the appearance, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Yes, even to death on a cross. Do you want to know what kind of king Jesus is, Paul asks? He's a king who would bear the mark of kenosis, Uh, A self-emptying, a a death, a a relinquishment, a laying down of arms, a king who would rule from the throne of weakness rather than the throne of power. Kenosis. Don't uh, don't forget that word. Fuller Seminary theologian Hak-Juk-Lee describes this idea of kenosis like this. He says... Kenosis of Jesus also has the effect of giving a concrete and living example of humility and self-sacrifice that radically alters the ordinary meaning of these words. Humility is more than a mental attitude. It takes action by the conscious replacement of self-serving with serving others and sharing one's entire life to the benefit of others. The mark of Jesus' kingdom, folks, the mark of Jesus' kingdom, to put it simply, is a kingdom where all of the characteristics that you would ordinarily identify as part of kingly rule are set aside. The mark of Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom where in some strange and wonderful way his humility and his sacrifice leads to the recognition that Jesus is indeed king beyond all other kings. And as a result of Jesus' self-emptying, which is what? Kenosis? Yeah, there you go. Jesus is able to fill excuse me, God is able to fill Jesus with all of the kingly acclaim that he deserves. And as a result of Jesus' descent into emptiness, there is room for God to exalt Jesus to the status that befits his kingly stature. That is the key to this moment that we have to understand Paul says that God greatly exalted him and to him in his favor has given the name which is over all names that now at the name of Jesus, every knee under heaven shall bow on earth and to under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to glory of God the Father. That's, I mean, Paul is almost waxing eloquent here, trying to describe the implications of this canonic event, if you will. So so what are we supposed to do with this amazing story uh, of a king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey while his disciples looked on in utter astonishment and maybe even a little bewilderment? You see, the temptation that we face is the same temptation that the disciples and onlookers faced this day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. It's, we have the same temptation. Our temptation is to project onto Jesus all of our hopes and dreams for a future king and kingdom that fulfills all of our expectations. Right? The temptation is to fill up all of our empty spaces of our lives with activities that appear to be important. Bible studies, small groups, and and these are all good things. Don't misunderstand me. Listen to Christian music, go to Christian concerts. All these objects of our affection and distractions, so that we don't have to deal with our own emptiness, (coughs) our own sense of loss, our own grief. The temptation is for us to become so full of ourselves that there's no room for God to take up residence in us. And after all, that's the whole point. And if Jesus' kingdom means anything at all, it means when we are empty of our own egos, empty from trying to live up to someone else's expectations emptying from trying so hard to get it right and still falling flat on our face, then and only then God can fill us. Then and only then. This is is the kind of upside-down kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming. This is the kind of king that Jesus represents. Let's celebrate today the arrival of this coming king. Let us wave our palm branches in anticipation of king and kingdom that is like none that we have never ever seen before. And let us never forget that this king who comes riding into our lives so that we in our brokenness and our despair may fill our broken places with the healing that, is, that this king can only offer to us. Friends, the implications of Jesus' descent into greatness is astounding if you think about it for a moment. Because Jesus was willing to become the king who, who will lead out of weakness and suffering and death, we too can embrace our own brokenness. And from that place of brokenness We no longer have to fill up all of the empty places and spaces with meaningless activities and unnecessary commitments that in the end don't really matter. From our position of emptiness, from our places of failure and disgrace, we can proclaim with Paul and countless disciples throughout the ages who said at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess on earth and under, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where, that's where the triumphal entry that we are celebrating today on Palm Sunday is leading us. So don't mistakenly get caught up in all the craziness, okay? Just get in line and follow this king who has given everything that he has away in order that God might make him the kind of king that we would want to follow. Yes, Lord, occupy the space in my life that I too quickly fill up with lesser things. And in my failure and weakness, let your strength be made visible in me. In the name of this King, Jesus Christ the Lord, I pray. Amen.